Welcome to Faith and Victory Church. I hope you enjoyed that wonderful worship. Um, if anything, it's been great just to be able to focus in and, and at home and just worship and avoid all the distractions. So I hope you're really uh, dialing it in here uh, over this time uh, where you're spending some time in your word and, and studying and, and just listening to what the Lord has for you. Um, Okay, let's get into it tonight. Uh, Lord Jesus, we love you so much. I just thank you for your word. Please speak to us tonight by it, uh, Lord God, that we would receive what you have for us tonight. Um, God, we just love you so much. Amen. Amen. So we're uh, still in the book of Colossians. We started Colossians last week. Uh, we're continuing it this week. Um, tonight we're going to be in Colossians 1, 9 through 14. So we just ended the book of Acts recently at the end of uh, the month. And so in the book of Acts, it, it ends with Paul, the Apostle Paul, he's imprisoned uh, under arrest in Rome. And so in Rome, he writes some letters. They call them the prison letters. And Colossians is one of those letters that he writes. Now, the church in Colossae is a relatively young church. Uh, they're in a bit of a crossroads of the country there. So they have a lot of influences on them. Um, they're mostly Gentiles, so they don't really come from that lineage of uh, religion with God. And, and they mostly kind of come from this uh, other kind of mystical, um, just pagan influences, uh, just all different kinds of influences from uh, religion and culture. So Paul is writing this, le this letter right now. He's trying to get him to stay rooted in the true gospel um, and so uh, in this portion of the the scriptures uh, he's get kind of doing a powerful prayer for them. So let's let's get into this. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 9 and 10. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. I'm in the New Living Translation again today. I want you to know that I'm going to go through a lot of verses today. So this sermon notes will be posted online with this eventually. So take notes, uh, pay attention to the verses, and you can always go back and review these verses as well. So it talks about every kind of good fruit. So uh, the good fruit in your, uh, in your life with Christ that you should produce is this in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentle and self-control. There is no law against these things. You know, I think for a newish believer, um, one of the biggest challenges in transitioning to a life in Christ uh, and one that pleases God um, is that it, you know what it looks like on paper, but what does it look like to put it into action? Um, sometimes you'll hear that uh, when, when you're trying to describe something to somebody, they say, well, what does that look like? And I think of things... It, when sometimes it's just not that easy, you know, that we have the Bible and all of that written there, but to see that example is good. I, I remember when I first got hired with the fire department, I didn't have any experience with the fire department. 
Uh, I didn't volunteer. I hadn't been an EMT, nothing. So I just went in with the training I had was just all manipulative training. There wasn't any real training in uh, the social dynamics of how to live as a firefighter at the fire station. And so I remember when I first got hired and my very first uh, fire station that I worked at just happened to be a very, very laid back, very slow place. Um, to work. And so I was new and all I was doing was I figured like, I don't know how to do this firefighter thing. I mean, we could go run on an emergency call and I know what I'm doing, but around the fire station or the house, didn't really know what to do. So I was just doing what everybody else was doing. I mean, what other example did I have, but the one they were setting for me. So after a couple weeks of that, and and I was just kind of taking my social cues from the guys I was working with, this other firefighter who usually worked at a different station on a different shift saw me in the morning as we were doing shift exchange and pulled me out in the hallway. And he looks at me, he says, what the heck are you doing? And I said, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and he took the time to tell me, hey, don't do what those guys are doing. They're setting a bad example for you. Here are the things and the expectations. This is how you do the right things. When you wake up, how you're supposed to dress. Uh, all these things that a new, uh, brand new firefighter should know that I had no clue about because of the example that was set for me. And so that, when I think of that image, I think of maybe like a brand new Christian who's just given their life to Christ. The circles that they hang out with, the examples that they see are going to be those kind of things that they think of when the Bible says, be patient and uh, be in self-control. But they're used to a Christian environment that that uh, doesn't show self-control or is really mouthy or just kind of is flippant about sin. They're going to think that maybe that's the right way to do it. Those That's what those words mean in the context of the Christian life. And that's just not the way it should be at all. Um you know, and if, I mean, there are rules and regulations and things like that in the fire department. But I think of those things like, what does patient look like? What does long suffering look like? I mean, in the context of our culture, what does it mean to have long suffering? And you learn that example from the people around you. Um, another thing I think of when I think of that is that movie, A Few Good Men, uh, where Tom Cruise is the lawyer and and he's on uh, he's a. Uh, trying to figure out who uh, somebody got killed on the Marine Corps base. And so he's trying to figure out how you follow orders. And, and in the Marine Corps, if you didn't know, everything's written down. There's a rule and a thing for everything. And so they're talking about, well, nobody told me the rules and things like that. So Tom Cruise is, is uh, got this young Marine on the stand and, and he says, show me in this book where the chow hall is. And the young Marine saying like, ah, I don't think it's in the book. And he said, what do you, are, you're in the Marine Corps and you're telling me that the chow hall is not in, in, in this instructional manual. How on earth have you, did you eat then? And the Marines said, well, I just followed the crowd at chow time. And that's the kind of things I think of. Even sometimes the most basic thing as a Christian that seems obvious to the people who've been Christians for a while can seem a little bit confusing and hard to, hard to get to. The, the Christian culture around you can totally affect how you are, whether it's legalistic and judgmental or it's compromising and accepting of skin, sin. So as a seasoned believer, 
as someone who know uh, who people know is a Christian, you need to understand that the example you're modeling for others is what they're th- going to think this Christian life's supposed to be like. So you need to take a higher responsibility for the new believer and make sure that you're modeling what it really means to live for Christ. In uh, James chapter three, verse fifteen through eighteen. It says, for the selfish are not, uh, for the jealous and selfish, let me start again. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every kind of, uh, and, and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest from the righteousness. One of those things in there that I, that I think is important is it says, uh, will yield to others. Because I think so often we want our own way. And so knowing that in the Christian faith, we're supposed to yield to others and not make it all about ourselves is a great example. This this whole thing is a, an excellent example of what it should look like and what it shouldn't look like. I mean, when you see believers around you setting this good example of, of yielding to others, uh, being gentle at all times... And uh, peace-loving, those kind of things is the example that uh, when you see Christian believers setting that example, that's what you want to model after. In John chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus says this, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. This is the knowledge that Paul is talking about. To be a Christian, you need to stay connected to Jesus himself, the author and perfecter of our faith. When he says the knowledge of uh, having knowledge and wisdom in the spirit will uh, lead you to leading the life that's pleasing to God. That's what he's talking about. This, This prayer from Paul is just a huge perspective shift from the materialistic prayers that our American culture models for us. Our prayer should be focused on spiritual things, not material things. And you may be saying, no, 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 that's not me. Um, I don't do what the American culture does. But if you take a moment to really reflect on how you're spending your day, how you're spending your money, um, how you interact with other people, maybe the comments you post online, really reflect on, is it uh, from a perspective of kind of a self-centered materialistic thing? When you sit down to pray to God, are you only praying for him when you need something from him? Uh, When you sit down and pray for others, do you just pray for material things or spiritual things um, inside? Our culture creates a negative influence focused on having things rather than being things. You want a bigger house, a better job, good looks. These are the things that kind of preoccupy everything we see on media. So it's easy to fall into that trap. But how about being loving or courageous, steadfast steadfast or patient? I mean, at the end of the day, what is God's will for you? That's the question. Is God's will for you to have a bigger house or to have more patience? Is God's will for you to have a, a better commute? Or a better car? Or is it to uh, practice long-suffering 
and loving to other people. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Then he, Jesus, said, be aware, guard against every kind of greed. Life isn't measured by how much you own. And 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered away from true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. So often this is misunderstood. But understand tonight, I'm not saying money itself is evil. I'm saying loving money, prioritizing money, making that the biggest thing in your life is going to lead you down the wrong road. Because it's not just money. Some people say, the oh, it's just paper, and how could that be that important? Let's, let's be real about it. Money basically equals anything you could ever want in your life. Because you can trade money for that. Whether it's water, or toilet paper, or trips or vacations or anything else. So that's why money is a big deal. But the Bible is saying that making that your priority, making those material things that you want a big deal that you, that's your focus in life, it's going to lead you to a road of sorrow. In James chapter four, verses two and three, you want what you don't have. So you scheme and kill to get it. You were jealous of what others have but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. This is a whole different perspective on prayer than maybe some of us are used to. You ask yourself right now, what are you praying for and why? Spiritual growth here develops this deeper level of understanding and comprehension about Christian truth, which the when doing this, you, you create a situation where you please the Lord. The deeper you go in the understanding of what the truth is, what's in the Bible and how this this looks, the the more solid you get in being a Christian and living the Christian life that's going to make God proud. My second part is this, is verse 11, says this. It says, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy. So the New King James Version says, all patience and long-suffering with joy. My first reaction often to, to... Things that are frustrating to me is just to get frustrated and complaining. It's basically the exact opposite of what you should be doing. Something happens. uh, Somebody makes a comment. uh, My whole life gets canceled uh, for a couple of months for some strange reason. And my first reaction is to complain about it and be frustrated. Um, I, I tend to think about it in terms of me. And how it affects me rather than affects others. And I have to remind myself, or better yet, my wife reminds me, to choose joy in those circumstances. Choose joy instead of to focus on the frustrating things that I'm thinking of. But it'd be disingenuous of me to assume or to uh, talk as if you haven't experienced something truly hard, truly uh, awful in your life. That, That somehow just... Choosing joy, like choosing to stop at a stop sign, is is enough of a solution for you. Um, Even some of you during this season with the COVID-19 have lost loved ones, uh, jobs, 
all sorts of things uh, that have happened. So I know it's a little more complex than just throwing out choose joy. But um, it doesn't mean it's not true. Um, you know, something I hear a lot is uh, people say, uh, and their excuse for why they can't do something that they know they know they're supposed to do is they say, um, well, it's easy for you to say. Yeah, yeah, it is easier for me to say, choose joy in my life than it may be for you. Because maybe me choosing joy is simply choosing not to be frustrated about something stupid. And you choosing joy means overlooking something gigantic or really have to diving in to prayer and time with the Lord to get your heart right to get over it. But just because it's easy for me to say doesn't make it any less true for everybody else. Just because biblical truths are easy for me at times doesn't mean they're not hard for me at times as well. And it doesn't mean that it won't be hard. But the truth is the truth, whether it's easy or hard to accomplish. I think that, the, I mean, we have hard lives sometimes. But I look at the first century church and what they went through and the hardship they went through with the persecution and, and uh, risk for their safety and their health and uh, you know, the Romans uh, don't like them, want to kill them. Uh, the Jews don't like them and want to kill them. They're stuck in the middle of all these things. There's probably no better example of people going through hardship that need to choose joy than the first century church. So let's look at the, some of the verses that deal with them directly. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4 through 6. In everything we do, we, sh- we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, uh, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity and our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. So even if that's you today, even if you've gone through uh, some of those things on the list, even Paul himself is telling the church in Corinth that that this uh, that what you do shows your true ministry, and that even though you go through that, you can still have understanding, patience, kindness, and sincere love. Philippians four twelve through thirteen says, I, "This is Paul again. He says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything.'" I have learned the secrets of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty or plenty or little, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That verse we often look at through Christ who gives me strength. A lot of times we look at it as um, through Christ's strength we can score a touchdown or get an A on a test or, or something, again, material. But what Paul is saying in context is that he can uh, go through suffering, he can go through hunger, he can go through uh, every situation like that with, with Christ as his strength. So that definitely changes the concept a little bit for me anyways when I think of that. First Peter chapter 5 verse 9 says, Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering that you are. When I'm too focused on my own problems, I try to remember to kind of look up and remember that so many of my Christian brothers and sisters out there in the world are dealing with so much more than I am, so much far, uh, far worse things than I'm going through. And I know that's not consoling, and I've always hated it when people say it could be worse, but the reality is it could be worse. 
It could be a lot worse. So when I start getting frustrated and down on myself and my situation, I try to remember those people that have it worse. Um, I've been uh, messaging with Pastor Allen over the past couple of weeks. And so he's ministering in Kenya to a population of people who already have very little. And then you take people who have very little and not a lot in reserve. And then you throw on top of them a pandemic. And next thing you know, they're struggling for their basic needs. Now, maybe you are struggling to have food on your table too. But I tell you, there's a whole huge community of people in Kenya right now that Pastor Allen's ministering to where they're just trying to raise money to get food for them. And so when those are your struggles, I think of that. And instead of complaining to myself, I think maybe I should pray for Pastor Allen and the church in Kenya right now that's truly struggling as well. This is a big perspective shift for us. Instead of praying for deliverance from hardship, why don't we pray for strength and endurance to go through that hardship? Let it refine you. Uh, uh, let, let, it, uh, let it make you stronger in the name of the Lord rather than just trying to avoid the pain of it all. First Peter chapter 1 verses 6 through 7. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is, it is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Gold. Through your faith, uh, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day that Christ Jesus is revealed to the whole world. And James chapter 1 verses 2 and 3. 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So through Christ, you can patiently patiently endure hard times, and that grows your faith. And that's basically what Paul is saying to them by verse 11. So part three, verses 12 through 14. Colossians 1, 12 through 14 says this. Always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Now, our culture, as you probably recognize, places no value on things that are free. Because we would never selfishly give something away for free that had any kind of value at all. That's just kind of how our American ethos kind of works, actually. Um, if it doesn't cost us something, uh, then it must not be worth anything. I mean, I, th- I think of things like um, seeing a lawnmower parked out on the curb, right? Anything that's stacked on the curb, somebody's giving away for free. They're just, that's the, that's the, uh, the secret code for take away my garbage is I'm just going to put it on the street corner. So you take a lawnmower, you put it on the street corner, you hang a sign on it that says free. No one will touch it. Two, three days later, you take that free sign off and you hang a sign on it that says 20 bucks. It'll get stolen in an hour. Why? Because nobody wants your crap if it's free, but they'd gladly take your stuff if you think there's value in it. I just think sometimes like our garage sales, we put our stuff out there that we spent 20 bucks on, we sell it for a dollar. 
or 50 cents if you got a really shrewd bargainer. We have that for two days. Whatever doesn't sell for 50 cents, we leave on the curb. Whatever nobody wants to haul away for free, then we donate it to the goodwill. Why? Because it no longer has any value. I don't know how many, if you've ever tried to give somebody a gift of something you just didn't want, and then were shocked that somehow they weren't really excited about taking it from you. Because we don't find value in things that are free. That's just how we do it. But the extreme blessings of simply being born in this country is something that most of us take for granted. Clean water, indoor plumbing, vaccines, cures for diseases. Do you realize there's millions of people around the world that die from stuff in other countries that we never even see in this country? It's eradicated here. And it's free. Guess what? You get to live in this country for free. You won the birth lottery. You get to live in a country that has running clean water out of every room in your house and medical care everywhere and all these kind of things that most places in the world, seriously, most don't have. But we have trouble finding value in those things. You remember Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory? I remember, I think it was the 70s version. Uh, there's a character in Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory where her name's Veruca Salt. And uh, she's never satisfied with anything. She's completely spoiled. And I think of that where in the, in the first one is she wanted a, a goose that laid golden eggs. In the second one that my kids grew up on, uh, she wanted a trained squirrel. Not just any squirrel. I want one of those trained squirrels. And sometimes I think about that in terms of our context of our culture. Not just any job. Not just any car. I want this super nice car. It's not good enough just to have something simple. But then I think of the contrasting example of when we go to Mexico to build houses for people. It was the first year we went down there. I want to say it was 2015. And uh, Aaron Quinones brought us down there. Commissions brought us a group. Uh, some people from this church, it was all veterans. Pastor Matt was down there. I was down there. Um, and so we were building this house for Arciela. And so it was interesting because she had this building out front um, that was kind of the, you know, cinder block kind uh, of building. And it was a little church. It had a little podium and a cross on the wall and things like that. But she wasn't living in there. Because that's God's house. She was living in this kind of like a pile of rubble behind the house. And so we're wondering how this happened. So what had happened was, is a group had come to build her a house. Uh, not the, not a YWAM Homes of Hope group, but another group. They came to build her a house. And she said, I don't want a house. I want you to build a house for the Lord. So they built her this little church. This small little church, probably 10 feet by 12 feet. But she'd run Bible studies out of there and she'd do ministry out of there. While she lived in a little shack, she did ministry out of there. So when we showed up, we got to build her a house for her and her kids and family. And her, typically when you go down there, the old house that they've been living in, you just keep that because it's a place to, for storage and put other stuff and then they live in the house. Well, her house was so run down, they had to tear it all down and to build the new house. And so I think of situations like that where are we really putting the house of the Lord first, even spiritually, emotionally, mentally? Are we, are we thinking about other people or are we just thinking about what we want for ourselves? I mean, we're over here in America hoarding guns and toilet paper. There are the places of the world. They're just hoping to get some food. We're just entitled. We can be so entitled and not thankful, but 
Paul's prayer here is encouraging them to be thankful for the salvation that they're getting for free because Christ paid the price. Let's look at some verses talking about salvation. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. And I think that same American mindset that we're talking about, that whole phrase can seem a little misleading. That somehow we, we didn't do anything for it. We get God's grace, which means it's free to us, which means we think it has no value, which means we don't take it seriously or understand the significance of it. And maybe you've seen uh, that spiritual context out there where people are so covered by grace that they just take it for a joyride. They do whatever they want. Why? Because who cares? They don't have to pay for it. Since they don't have to pay for it, they don't mind using it up. When really, you have to understand that you couldn't pay for it, but Christ did pay for it with his blood. He died a brutal death so that you could have that salvation and that gift of grace. So you need to look at it that way. That's part of it. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 6 um, through 8 says, so we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with his blood or with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with wisdom and understanding. His gift of salvation is free, but Jesus paid for it with his blood. We should have a humble gratitude for our salvation. Having a humble gratitude for his salvation is a defense against false teachings. I think of like the prosperity gospel, where basically it's like, hey, you pray to God for material things and you can have whatever you want. But having a humble recognition of the sacrifice Christ made for you just to have salvation should kind of cure you of this idea that somehow you deserve more from God. It also kind of reminds me of... The the kind of a doctrine that says that somehow um, you could earn your salvation if you follow all these rituals and work really hard and keep yourself from doing all this sin. Somehow you could earn the salvation from God when really all that's doing is saying that his death and sacrifice was not enough for you. That somehow it has less value to you because you can earn it now. But you working hard and earning things falls into the scripture that says the wages of sin are de- is death in Romans chapter 6 verse 23. Your wages, your hard work has earned you death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. So as we go through these next couple verses, uh, I want you, if you're a Christian, I want you to be reminded about Christ Jesus and what you're living for and what value that has. If you're not a Christian yet today, I want to give you some knowledge and some insight so that you could give your life to Jesus Christ today based on what you're going to hear out of the Bible. So let me run through it real quick. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 and 24 says, everyone has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. So you all need salvation. In Romans chapter 10 verses 9 through 11 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Now don't take this uh, scripture lightly. 
It says, if you openly declare Jesus is Lord, if you confess it, if you admit it, and you know this in your heart, you believe it, that God raised Christ from the dead to be the sacrifice for you, and you're willing to tell others about your belief. If you do that, then you can be saved. The scripture tells us anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. John 14, 21, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. So in Romans, when you're looking at declaring that uh, Jesus was raised from the dead and you believe in that, if you really believe in that and you really love the Lord, then you'll obey his commandments. So you, you obeying what the Bible says, the, the life you're supposed to believe and the life you're supposed to live in obedience is great, but understand that uh, by doing that is how you're showing the Lord that, that he is truly in you. So you don't earn your salvation. You don't uh, do things for God because you think it's going to make him like you better. But because he has saved you, then you want to live like it. He says in Acts chapter 2, verses uh, 2 through 38, Paul replied, each of you must re- uh, repent of your sins and turn to God. You must do that. Uh, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ uh, for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I want you to be able to receive Paul's prayer for you today. The prayer he's given to the Colossians today, what he's uh, praying for them for, I want you to be able to receive it too. So I want to give you the opportunity to give your life to Jesus Christ today. So why don't you just, um, I was going to say bow your heads, but since no one's in here, bow your head to your TV. If, if you want to give Jesus Christ your life today, if you want to make him your Lord and Savior, if you believe he died for your sins and you want to receive that gift of grace and repent of your sins and live for him, I want you to do that right now. Do it in your living room. Uh, uh, hold hands with your wife or your kids or your husband and declare that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and you want to live for him for now and forever. Pray that to him. Pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are my savior. Lord, forgive me of my sins. God, thank you for this grace that you've given me and the uh, gift of salvation. Lord, I want to follow you for the rest of my days. I give you, I just love you, Lord. Amen. Amen. If you gave your life to Christ today, we want to hear about it. You can go to faithandvictory.com. Um, you can see, probably see it on the bottom of the screen where you can reply. Tell your friends about it. Tell your family about it. Make it know that you love Jesus now. And get into your word and plug into a really good church where you can learn more about how to live your life for Christ and be pleasing to the Lord. Thank you for coming out tonight. We love you so much. Uh, just, hey, Drive-in service next week as well, next Sunday, 8.30 a.m. Drive-in service right here. It was super awesome last Sunday. Let's do it again, and have a great rest of the week. We love you. See you later, Faith and Victory Church.